What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and really excited to have on a multiple repeat guest today. We're going to have on Larry Keller from Physician Financial Services talking all about disability insurance. Now, I am just as much to blame as everyone else for this, but usually when we talk about term and disability insurance, we're talking with people that have pretty much perfect health, and we don't really talk about those that might not have perfect health. And there's different things, different versions of what that might mean. And we're going to uncover those today as the 10 most common things that Larry sees in his you know 30 years of experience of being an independent insurance agent on those that don't have perfect health. What do they do or what would it look like or what happens in underwriting when you have certain issues? So I'm really excited to be jumping into this not many people are discussing it because honestly, it's kind of hidden in the insurance world and we're going to be able to uncover those things so you know what to expect if you have any one of these things that might happen. So I think this is going to allow you guys to have some real world uh, scenarios. Before we start, remember that this is educational only. This is not a financial plan. This is not an insurance plan. This is not any recommendations for certain coverages or lack of coverages. So please consult your CPA, your attorney, your financial planner, uh, or reach out to us at physicianwellservices.com. We'd love to talk with you about working together and putting together a plan. So without further ado, let's jump in and hang out with Larry. Hey, Ryan, glad to be back. As you can imagine, things are a little hectic here in New York. We've had a whole host of coronavirus uh, questions. I had a lot of businesses closed down. Uh, I don't know whether I should be proud or not, but I've been working the entire time. COVID-19 really coupled very well with the beginning of resident and fellow season. Felt like I was a PGY1 for a very, very long time and now finally coming up for a little bit of air. Yeah, it always feels crazy. And I mean, obviously in New York, you're feeling it way different than I am here in sunny San Diego, but... I appreciate you spending some time with us. I know that it, we joke about it, entrepreneurship being a disease. We work a lot and we never want to turn anyone down. We're just trying to help. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. And what I want to really dive into is those that don't have perfect health. How, what happens from the insurance standpoint, whether it's term or disability for certain things? And we've talked about some key areas just as we underwritten hundreds of of policies with you and you've helped us for throughout the years. So I have a list that we've mocked up here and I, I really just want to go down the list. So let's start with diabetes. If someone has diabetes, let's start gestational diabetes when they were pregnant and everything's fine now after, but that definitely changes. And when I actually give this talk to some of the you know resident programs that I've talked with, they're shocked to hear this. So what changes when someone gets gestational diabetes from an insurance standpoint? Yeah, so things change significantly. You know, what you'll find for someone that has gestational diabetes, even if it was years ago, the best case scenario from a life insurance standpoint is going to actually be what's known as the standard plus non-tobacco category. That's the third underwriting category that some companies offer. Some companies don't offer that. And then we're looking at standard non-tobacco. And if you look at it, we know, unlike disability insurance, where you're either a tobacco user or you're not, in life insurance, there's really different tiers that we use. And you might find that the best tier is what's known as preferred plus. 
Second best would be preferred. Third best would be standard plus non-tobacco. And then we've got standard non-tobacco. There was one company that for a very long time, even if you had a history of gestational diabetes, if you met all the other criteria, you could still qualify for their best underwriting classification. They have now corrected that for about 18 months to two years to be in line with the rest of the industry. So I will very often ask people, do you have any medical history or do you have any conditions? And they might not think about gestational diabetes because it was in their past. They've had their children. They don't have it anymore. Everything has resolved. And you're right. They're shocked to learn that they went from potentially preferred plus to standard plus non-tobacco or standard. And from a premium standpoint, if we look at preferred plus going down to standard non-tobacco, it literally is double the cost. Yeah, that's a big difference, right? So if you're planning to have kids and you know that there's people that are going to be dependent on you, you might need term coverage, you might want to think about this sooner rather than later. Just for that thing, you have no idea what actually happens. I mean, there's so many different changes. I was going to say with gestational diabetes in terms of disability, is there any changes on that front? With disability insurance, really no. If things you know, develop during pregnancy, they have resolved. There is no adverse action when it comes to disability insurance. So the most important thing for females that are considering starting a family is to buy your life insurance before you're pregnant, before you have any potential complications like gestational diabetes associated with the pregnancy. Of course, if we're past that point, then we know ideally we would like to go to a company that does offer a standard plus non-tobacco category as opposed to just a standard non-tobacco category for the cost savings associated with it. Yeah. And we've talked, I mean, a bunch of times on the show about how females statistically live longer. So their term insurance is a lot cheaper than males. We die earlier. So we pay more and then it flips with disability. They're more likely to go off on a disability claim, whereas males are less likely statistically to do that. It almost takes as like gestational diabetes, almost evens the playing field with just a male policy. Now, if it truly doubles and that really stinks. Plan ahead with that type of coverage if you need term and coverage and you haven't gotten in place and you're thinking about having kids at some point. So with other forms of diabetes, so let's talk about type one, right? Taylor's got type one. We've, you and I have had this discussion a lot about her and what coverages we can and can't get. And thankfully her work actually has some coverages through the Navy, which is amazing. But how does type one diabetes work if someone listening here is wanting to get either term or disability coverage, but they're T1. So for term life insurance, it is going to be available, but it is going to be expensive. And what the insurance companies look at here is what is the age that they are when they're actually applying for the policy and how long have they actually have the condition So let's just say we were looking at someone between the age of 35 and the age of 49, probably right in that sweet spot of the audience here. And they were diagnosed with it somewhere between zero to seven years. The odds are very good that they're going to be what's known as a table D or a table four. So there is something that's called a substandard premium or a rating 
And what the insurance companies do here is they're charging additional premium to mitigate the increased risk. And if we look at it, every time you're going up a table rating, it's basically a 25% increase in terms of the premium. So we might find that a table two is 125%. A table three is 150%. A table four is 175%. You get the idea there. Now, when companies use this rating for term life insurance, most of them are going to start with the standard non-tobacco premium, assuming the person's not a tobacco user, and they're going to then layer the rating on top of that. One of the companies actually uses the rating on top of their standard plus non-tobacco, that third underwriting category. So if we had the same individual and they were going to be rated the same as far as substandard premium, and one company is using their third underwriting class and one is using their fourth, that standard non-tobacco class, clearly the one that's using that third best standard plus non-tobacco is going to have a lower premium associated with it. So typically, if I know someone is going to be rated, I am very likely going to be using that company. Now, if someone's situation is more complicated and we really don't know what to do, I might call the underwriter and I'll usually use the term, hey, I got a guy or, hey, I got a girl. No names are ever used. We're just running these conditions by the underwriters to have them give us a starting place as to what might we be showing to this individual in terms of an underwriting classification. If a condition is really complicated and they could be all over the map, what I might do is have them sign an authorization form that allows me to send their medical records to several insurance companies. So have them requested by, let's say, one agency and have that agency get the records, send it to several carriers, have those different carriers come back and say, based on this medical history, this is what we believe we're going to be able to offer. I then go to my life insurance comparison program, run the premium rates, and then we can formally apply to the one that we believe is going to give us the best outcome in terms of premium for the coverage that we're actually purchasing. Now, I will tell you, physicians as a whole, they want things done quickly. Once they make up their minds, they want to be done yesterday. This can be a longer process, but I think it works really well in those complicated situations because now we're applying to the company that we know we're likely going to get the best outcome relative to what the underwriters have told us, as opposed to hoping we got the right company, actually applying formally, having them come back. And if they come back different than we expected, we are essentially starting the process all over again. Yeah, there's a lot of different pieces that go into it when it's not someone that is in perfect health. And so if you aren't in that perfect health category, it is totally fine, as you're going to see throughout the show. Uh, We're going to talk through various forms of what that might look like, but it's going to take a little longer than expected because it's not typically the norm, if you will, as they're walking through those pieces. I think it was interesting to state that there was some that do it on the third tier versus the fourth tier. And essentially that could mean, let's just say the policy was a 30 year term policy for a million bucks. I don't know, say it was a thousand dollars of premium. That could be like, 
you know, 25% or $250 a year, that that can add up quite a bit quite quickly, depending on where they're tabled, but also which essentially what company is going to use, whether that's the third or the fourth tier for their starting point. So that was, I think, really helpful to know and understand. How does this change with those that are type two? So type two, if things are actually very well controlled, they actually can be in a much better position in terms of the individual disability insurance as well as their life insurance. So let's look at the individual disability insurance with type two. And what we find is if things are well controlled, the onset was between the age of 40 and 45. Now they're looking at a rating. They're going to be looking at somewhere between, at that point, it's a five-year benefit period. So that's the number of years that benefits will be payable. It's per disability not over one's lifetime. If it's between age 40 and 45, they're probably looking at a 75% rating with that five-year benefit period. If things are well-controlled and the onset was now age 46 to age 50, we're probably looking at a lesser rating, a 50% rating. And if things are well-controlled and it was onset at age 51 or older, now we're looking at that 25% rating. But I would say on average, a type 2 diabetic looking to purchase disability insurance, they're probably going to be a 50% rating and a five-year maximum benefit period. And because the benefit period is shortened and it's not your traditional age of 65 or longer, increase options are not going to be available. So at that point, if someone wanted to increase their coverage in the future, in the traditional world, if we had an increase option, they could do that regardless of their health. Since they already have this pre-existing condition, we're going to go ahead and we can look to adjust their existing policy, answer medical questions, and see if we qualify for more. In some cases, we can add it to the existing policy. In other cases, we're going to literally be buying an additional policy from the same company or a different company to supplement what they have. On the life insurance side, they literally can do much better you know, compared to a type 1 diabetic. On a disability insurance side, a type 1 diabetic really is uninsurable. The only way that they're going to be able to get long-term disability insurance would either be to go to a specialty company like a Lloyd's of London. That'll typically pay benefits for, again, five years per period of disability. They might be able to elect for a lump sum payment that says at the end of the five years, if they're still disabled, if they chose it, we can have a lump sum benefit of, say, $500,000 or a million dollars if they're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of their occupation. Keep in mind, even Lloyd's of London is going to put on an exclusion rider for diabetes or complications associated with diabetes. So for the most part, they will never be insurable the same way someone is in perfect health. Now, let's just say we have a resident or a fellow and they're still in training, and they happen to get lucky. They're in an institution that has what's known as a guaranteed standard issue plan or a GSI plan. With these plans, there is no medical underwriting. They will ask a couple of very basic questions. Have you been at work full-time for the last 180 days prior to applying for this policy? As long as the answer is yes, the insurance will be approved, provided they did not apply elsewhere and they were not declined elsewhere. Now, some people will say to me, 
this sounds like it's too good a deal. It must be very expensive. Believe it or not, it is a discounted individual disability insurance policy, the very same individual disability insurance policy from the very same companies that your healthy resident or fellow would look to purchase their coverage from. It will be own occupation. It will have all of the riders that are suggested, but the benefit amount will be more limited. The maximum, instead of being uh, $20,000 a month on a fully underwritten policy, maybe the maximum is only ten dollars or $15,000 a month, but it is discounted. For females, very often, these policies also have a gender neutral or a unisex rate structure. And we did a show on this before, and we know that this could potentially reduce the cost of a female's policy by somewhere between 40 to 50%. So imagine, you know, here you are, you're a type one diabetic, you're doing your residency or fellowship, and you find out that there is a guaranteed standard issue plan at your hospital. That is literally like being at the carousel and grabbing for the brass ring and getting it. You have benefits until the age of 65 or longer. You've got unisex rates, you've got a discount, and you've got the ability to further increase your coverage in the future as your income rises, very much like your colleagues that don't have any medical issues. So a couple of the important things that I want you to take away from what Larry just said was, if you've got some of these complications and you are going to apply, knowing that you have these, you might get declined. And if that's the case, you basically negate the ability to get one of the GSI plans that might be available to you. You guys have all heard the story with Jimmy Turner, the physician philosopher who does the Money Meets Medicine show with me, where he applied in medical school, got declined, then had a GSI plan and wasn't eligible for that. That is his exact situation that you want to avoid completely. It also might mean that you might be interested in taking a job that has a GSI plan if you are type one or type two, and you have some of these medical issues specifically for that plan, it might sway the, do I take job A or job B? If job A has got a GSI plan, job B doesn't, and you're not in perfect health, that could actually mean quite a bit to you in the long run, even if the pay is a little bit less. So Larry, now I want to switch from diabetes to the concept of either being overweight or obese. So some listeners and myself included, because Taylor reminds me all the time that I'm now overweight, classified as overweight. How does that change when they want to go either for term or disability? Are there companies that are more favorable? Are they going to get rated? Like, what does that look like if you're overweight? Yeah. So let's go life insurance, at least to start. And the first thing that you have to understand is even though Taylor gives you a hard time, and I know you've got your Peloton and you should be using it if you're not. Not always. (laughs) is a lot of times in someone's mind, they are overweight or they might even medically classify themselves as obese. But in the world of the insurance companies and in the eyes of the insurance companies, they're actually not. So certain companies are much more generous than others. I'm going to give you an example of one of the companies that I use. This one is pretty well known in terms of being very generous in terms of their bill chart. And I'm going to use two builds. I'm going to use someone that's 5'3", very likely a female. And to get the best classification, an individual could weigh up to 169 pounds. To get the second best category, 
the same individual at 5'3 can weigh up to 186 pounds. And then to be in either the third or the fourth category, they can actually be up to 197 pounds. That's fairly generous. If we look at a male, let's just say six feet, best underwriting classification, they can literally be up to 221 pounds. The second best category, they can be up to 242. And then if they're going to be in that select or that standard category, so the third or the fourth, they can be up to you know, 258 pounds. So again, things are fairly generous there. Now, one thing that a lot of people are very proud of, and they should be, is let's say that they bought a policy and they subsequently lost a good amount of weight and they're no longer in either a category where they're rated or they're no longer in the third best category. They see that they have moved up to the second or even the best category. Keep in mind that any weight that's lost within a 12-month period is going to be added back by 50%. So if I lost 25 pounds and I said, hey, I was 225, now I'm 200, in the eyes of the insurance company, you are 212 or 212 and a half, and that's what they're going to use. So certain insurance companies, if you believe that you have now shifted and you are more favorable in terms of a risk, you can actually do another exam blood test and urine test, and you could potentially replace the coverage that you have with another company. Or you could potentially go back to the same company and you could say, hey, I'd like to apply to see if I can upgrade my category. And not only is this true with life insurance, it's also true with disability insurance. Now, let's say you're rated just solely based on your build. Same thing that we talked about before. The insurance company is going to come in, they have their bill chart, and they're going to determine where do you fall. I'm going to use our individual that's 5'3 once again. So a table two with the company that uses that third best category, you know, they can really start up to about 237 pounds. At table three, it starts at 242. Table four is 248. Table five is 254. As a six-foot male... We know that you can be up to 309 is when you hit table two. Table three is 317. Table four is 324. Table five is 331. So they're rated. Certainly coverage is readily available. And again, the one thing that I have found both in medicine and insurance is experience is the one thing that really cannot be replicated. Ideally, you want to be dealing with an agent that has a multitude of experience that knows which companies to go to, as well as which companies to avoid in this situation. Now, if we look at the disability insurance side of things, again, a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm not a marathon runner. I'm not, you know, six feet, 150 pounds. I'm going to really have a significant amount of problems. Let's look at it. Here's a pretty well-known uh, disability insurance carrier. I'm going to use 5.3 again. Uh, here the chart is blended. It's a male and a female chart. And at 5.3, there is no rating until you reach 192 pounds. If we have a six-foot male, there's no rating until I reach 251 pounds. Now, then we have different categories. We've got a 25% rating, a 50% rating, a 75%, and 100%. 
if we're hitting that 75 or 100%, odds are very good that the benefit period is going to be limited also on disability insurance. So it's not going to be age 65. It's going to be benefits payable for five years. At that 75% or 100%, it's likely going to be a two-year benefit period. But the question always becomes, I have the best intentions. I really do plan on getting my weight down. Shouldn't I just wait? And my answer is no. If things change, we can always look to change your policy. But if things get worse or you develop a subsequent medical condition unrelated to weight, now you might not be able to purchase insurance at any price. Yeah, I wouldn't wait on this stuff because... It's just like your finances and there are other pieces, right? I'm going to get to that someday. Well, I'm going to lose weight someday. I'm going to lose weight next month. I'm going to lose weight whenever. And then that time comes and goes by and then a year goes by and all of a sudden it's, well, you're left without coverage. You're not protected. Yes, you paid a little bit more in premium, but at least you had that protection in place. So Larry, we're about halfway through our list here. These other ones that we do see, but not as frequently, I would say some of these you, I think, see a lot more, but let's talk about traumatic injury. They go through something that was a traumatic injury. Everything's now kind of on the up and up. They're back at work. They're doing well. How does that affect their their term insurance? And then how does that affect their disability insurance? So, you know, traumatic injuries, those are tough. You know, we're going to look at what was the actual injury were there surgeries? Were there multiple surgeries? Was hardware placed if it was a musculoskeletal? And really, how has the person recovered? Life insurance, depending upon what that injury is, it really can be all over the map. The person might be regular, preferred plus, best class. Things have come and gone. They're in the distant past. Or someone could be in a situation where they're going to be rated. We just don't know. For disability insurance, you're likely going to be looking at some type of a limited policy. I'm going to say worst case scenario, Lloyd's of London once again. And we're probably looking at that five-year maximum payout. Uh, Lloyd's of London typically has a five-year term with their policy. So the rates are locked in for five years. At the end of the five years, we go to renew that policy. And the premium rates at that point will likely change and be higher because you're older. And the coverage can potentially change. But again, the more complicated this situation is, the more likely we're going to want to take that informal approach. Run something by the underwriter, get an idea as to what they're thinking. And if it's very complex and maybe it involved a hospital stay or a long hospital stay or multiple conditions that were going on, I would probably, again, go for the HIPAA-compliant authorization, let the agency get copies of the medical records, send those medical records out to several companies, and then go ahead and determine what might be available. If we look at someone who's experienced or is experiencing depression, but let's say that they're stable, right? Maybe they're on a couple meds or one med, whatever, however you want to walk through this scenario. But if they are experiencing that, how does that work within, because we always see these mental nervous exclusions and all sorts of stuff, but how does that change their disability and their term insurance? So disability insurance, I will say the worst thing that can, you can have happen is someone that just started medication, they're in therapy, or maybe they're not in therapy, they're just on medication for anxiety or depression, 
it's very recent. It's within one month to six months. And I always hear people tell me, well, I applied for insurance and I was declined. And the reason that they were declined is because of the recency. And insurance companies are going to want to see at the absolute minimum, someone is on a medication, they're being followed, that medication dosage has been stable, and they've been on that medication for at least six months and more likely a year where the dosage has been stable. In your really very common situation, I would say two of the insurance companies out of the big six are just going to use an exclusion rider for claims related to mental and nervous conditions. And what they will do is they'll say, the policy is the same that anybody else would get. You're still considered like a standard risk. You're not paying anymore. But what we're going to do is we're going to say, in the event of a disability that's caused or contributed to by anything in the DSM-4, I know we're up to five guys, or its subsequent replacement, that is not going to be covered. Now, even if someone gets an exclusion rider for mental and nervous conditions, they should understand that the really big stuff is still going to be covered. So dementia as a result of a stroke, a trauma, head injury, viral infection, MS, Parkinson's, they have a physical condition that prevents them from doing their material and substantial duties. And secondary to that, they have depression they are actually going to be paid for that claim because first and foremost, the physical condition is what's causing their disability. Now, you might find, depending upon the company that you apply to, certain companies are not nearly as friendly and they're going to come back and they're not only going to put on the exclusion rider, but they're also going to limit the benefit period to a maximum of five years or 10 years if they make that available. And they're going to remove the increase option riders on the policy. So if I know that someone is on an antidepressant, it's very recent, and they tell me it's very recent, I'm likely going to tell them don't apply yet. Let a little bit more time go by where things have been stable. Or if there's a guaranteed standard issue plan, I'm going to tell them to likely take advantage of that. Some of the guaranteed standard issue plans actually have built into them unlimited coverage for mental and nervous conditions, unless you're in anesthesia, emergency medicine, or you're a pain management physician. And any of the guaranteed standard issue plans, the way that they are protecting themselves is they might have, not all of them have this, but they might have what's known as a, a 312 pre-existing condition limitation. So what that means is if you've taken a prescription medication or you've seen a physician within three months prior to applying for the insurance and you become disabled within the first year of owning that policy due to that pre-existing condition, that claim is not going to be paid. But believe it or not, after someone owns the policy for a year, should they become disabled, even as a result of that condition, that claim would actually be paid. So if there's a guaranteed standard issue plan available, and this is also one of the benefits of dealing with experienced agents, we tend to know where they are available, what company they're with. And if we can't do them, because most of them are exclusive offerings, we know the endorsed agent, and we're happy to refer that client to that agent so they get the right policy and they get the right result for their situation. 
And that's really, really important because most agents don't understand that piece. And that's what we found when we were trying to vet out different agents to work with our clients at Physician Well Services. When you look at different discounts or different things that are exclusive to certain hospitals, that's not something that I can just as a planner go look up and find and go navigate the sea of craziness in insurance, even though we don't sell any of these products. It's not common knowledge. It's not even necessarily public knowledge where it's easily accessible. So that has been extremely helpful to know and understand where those are and how those kind of work through those pieces when we're trying to help clients if navigate the GSI plans or just plans that are specific to their hospitals. So now if we look at the term life insurance side of things, now you will find that anxiety or depression is really not much of an issue. So certain companies will say preferred, so the second best category is available for mild to moderate depression or anxiety with stability. So one of the companies says up to two medications. Their specific criteria is that they cannot be third-line drugs or antipsychotics, but they still take you at the preferred if you've got up to two medications, limited time off from work, no hospitalization, and no electroconvulsive therapy or ECT. So I will tell you, like a second best category is actually very good. And I will tell you again, from the insurance agent standpoint, I think we have it wrong. And from a consumer standpoint, I think we have it wrong. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So we know that in the life insurance world, we have, let's just say that four-tiered system. We've got preferred plus, we've got preferred, we've got non-smoker plus, and we've got standard non-tobacco. Well, realistically, the consumer and the agent should say, I'm going to start at standard non-tobacco. I'm the average guy. I'm no better. I'm no worse. But we don't do that. Most of the consumers will knowingly go to a comparison website, a very well-known website, www.term for sale. So it's T-E-R-M, then the number four, S-A-L-E dot com. That's a good place where you can find rates for different companies for different durations and different amounts of coverage. But that's only a starting place. And they will knowingly go on there. They will look at the numbers and they will come back with, my rate should be X. Well, not really. They're looking at the best category. Each company has their own criteria, as we've seen for build and different conditions. So I myself use the professional version of this. It's actually the same company that has termforsale.com really sells software to agents for comparing the premium rates from one company to another. And even for those that are in perfect health, I'm going to use that to determine which companies are less expensive, which policies may or may not be a good fit for that individual. And then I'm going to look at their family history. I'm going to look at their personal history. I'm going to look at their build. And I'm going to try to determine which ones we should be honing in on. But again, the consumer has it wrong. And I think the agent has it wrong. The agent as a whole usually tries to show the best class or the second best class. The most important thing is really to open up the the guidebook, the equivalent of the PDR for that specific insurance company's product. Most of the time in the early portions of their guide, they're actually going to have a, a sweet spot section and they're going to tell you as the agent 
where they're very good and where they might be stronger relative to some of the other insurance companies. So like anything else, yes, it's the experience. And once you discover it and you start looking through their manuals, you start to learn really quickly which companies are better for certain conditions than for other conditions. Yeah, it's like the, I don't remember what story is, probably going to butcher the the story or quick story or analogy, but it's uh, they hire someone to come fix this engine and everyone looks at it and can't figure it out. They hire this old school guy that has crazy amounts of experience. He comes in, he looks, his surveys says, he takes one hammer, pops it one time and sends him a bill for 10,000. And the guy's, you literally hit it one time. What do you mean? And he goes, okay, let me break it out. $9,900 for the experience and, and $100 for coming out and hitting it with a hammer. So it's going to where whoever has the experience and knowing where to do this, because you don't want to do is go to someone inexperienced and get declined or pay a whole bunch more money. And potentially, if you got declined, then not be able to be open for GSI plans. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So I, I appreciate you you letting us know and walking through those scenarios. There's a couple more that we have here on the list. One that I think is probably really common and that most people don't think about, but is sleep apnea. How does that affect? Because I have a feeling a lot of people listening are experiencing or are just undiagnosed, but are experiencing this. Yeah. I run into sleep apnea an awful lot, both on the disability insurance side, as well as the term life insurance side. So let's start with term life insurance. Well, this person might qualify for as good as a standard plus if they've got uh, well-documented use and compliance with their CPAP machine and assuming that's what they're doing, and they've had it for at least one year you know, with no residual symptoms. Ideally, what the insurance companies are going to want to look to see is, did you have a sleep study done? If you did, is it mild, moderate? or is it obstructive sleep apnea? And again, mild and moderate are going to be looked at more favorably. Are you using the CPAP machine? Because there are plenty of people that have the sleep CPAP machine and they don't use it. They're not compliant. The insurance company is not going to look that favorable for them. Another, How do they prove that you're using it now? Now, this is the one I'm curious. How how do they prove they're using it? When you go back to your pulmonologist for your follow-up, My understanding is that inside the CPAP machine is essentially like a computer and it records the use of the CPAP machine. And it has the day, it has the length, the whole thing. So if you're using it and you bring that chip back to your doctor, they're going to be able to write up the report as to how compliant you are. If you're not using it, I assume if they bring back the chip and they see it's not being used, now the insurance company knows. So I would say if someone has sleep apnea, they are compliant, they're doing well, their symptoms for the most part have resolved. They literally could be as good as preferred if it's very well controlled and the case is mild. They could be standard plus non-tobacco, or they could be worse. It's probably unlikely they're going to get preferred plus. So disability piece is if it's very recently diagnosed and it's mild or moderate, it's probably not going to be an issue. If it's recently diagnosed and it's obstructive and the person is given a CPAP machine, we probably want to see that they're using that machine 
for at least a year, probably better at two years. And at that point, there would be no adverse action. They would have a, a policy. We don't really do an exclusion rider for sleep apnea. So you're either covered or you're not going to be covered. If it's bad, you could be in that situation where you're going to get a, a rating, you know, maybe that five-year benefit period, uh, 50% extra premium, but sleep apnea would still be covered and disabilities caused or contributed to by sleep apnea would be covered. So if you guys are catching on to the theme here, as we keep going through each one of the potential things that would cause someone to not have perfect health, the insurance companies like to see stability and length of time in that stability. So if you have depression, you're on meds, you want to see it for about a year, sleep apnea, a year, maybe even two years, right? If you're overweight and you lost weight, it doesn't count if you lost in the last 12 months. They want to make sure that you're keeping the weight off for more than a year. So if you have these things, it doesn't mean that you can't get coverage. It just means that maybe if it's more recent and now that kind of triggered you to be like, oh, shoot, something is wrong. I need coverage. Just be prepared that you might have to wait. And that's okay, but it's still worth running it, seeing what's available because maybe things change. Maybe you do have a GSI plan. The important thing is to take some action in that, not necessarily be the ostrich, bury it in the sand and say, I'll figure it out in a year because that's what they need. Yeah, I'll go one step further. And I've seen this a lot. And you've probably seen this with a bunch of your clients. No, no, I don't see anything. I say they have a feeling something might not be great. They go to see their physician and their physician, let's say, recommends a sleep study to determine whether they have sleep apnea or not. And we know physicians are busy people. So they went, they had their initial visit. They had their recommendation to get the sleep study done. Things may or may not have resolved, but the doctor said you should have a sleep study and you do not go to have the sleep study. And now the insurance company gets a copy of your medical records and they see that a sleep study was requested and not done. It is highly unlikely that you're going to get insurance at all until that sleep study is done. We know what the results are. We know what your doctor's recommending or not recommending. Maybe it's a CPAP machine. Maybe it's just some kind of uh, device that you use at, at night, you know, like a mouth guard type of device. And again, the insurance companies are all about uh, problem. I now go see someone. I have my problem evaluated. I rule out what I don't have. I determine what it is I do have. Now I have my treatment plan. I follow my treatment plan and I'm okay. They don't like to see problem, initial consultation, no resolution or no diagnosis. Now they just don't know what they're getting into. And if you were the insurance company, honestly, would you insure you? Yeah, it's the last thing you want. The markets don't like uncertainty and insurance companies don't like uncertainty. They want to know all the variables. So give them all the data. They can analyze it and then they're going to underwrite it and tell you what they can and can't do. That's at its most crude basic form. So yeah, listen to the doctor. Oh, really, Ryan? He called the kettle black over here. All right. So Larry, I think the last one that we want to cover here is if you don't smoke and my wife is, yes, do not smoke. Right. If you don't smoke, but you use tobacco products, how does that work? Because I know lots of people, either they dip or they're using the, I don't know, there's all sorts of weird stuff out there now, Larry. But if they're using tobacco products, but they're not smoking, how does this impact 
They're because they, that unfortunately means they're not in perfect health. Right. Even if you could run marathons, still they dock you. So how does that work out? Yeah. So you've got two different types of tobacco users. Let's go with the really very common. Let's call this our cigar smoker. And the insurance companies, a lot of them will actually allow for non-tobacco user rates if you smoke cigars. Typically, it's going to be no more than one or no more than two per month. And when you go ahead and you do your exam, blood test, and urine test, in your urine, there are no nicotine metabolites. So there is not a positive test for cotinine in your analysis that was done. Now it's okay. You are really considered just to be a celebratory cigar user. Your urine was clear for nicotine. You could potentially, with some companies, qualify for the best underwriting classification. Then we have everybody else. So here's what we call a tobacco user. Forgetting about cigarettes, because cigarettes are always going to be a standard tobacco user rate. There's no way to avoid that. But if you use pipes or smokeless tobacco, or you're using chewing tobacco or nicotine substitutes, including patches and gum, or you're using smokeless cigarettes, or you're vaping, well, there is one company that will actually put you in their third best category. And hands down, no one is going to come close to the one company that does that. So again, it's just the one area where we see someone can be very smart, very good at what they do, very diligent at what they do. It just comes down to experience. And the more experience you have, the more likely you've seen these situations before, not just the ones we discussed today, but a whole bunch more. They're just a lot less common. Odds are very good. We're going to know where to direct that client to go and get the policy that they should at the best possible price that they should be paying for it. On the disability insurance side, other than using cigars, there's really no way around it. And if you are using any of those tobacco products, whether it's cigarettes, pipes, smokeless tobacco, chewing tobacco, nicotine substitutes, or vaping, you are going to be paying tobacco user rates. Now, to get the best category for term life insurance, you would have to stop using tobacco products, again, forgetting about cigars for a moment, anywhere from three years to five years. So you can't say, hey, I just quit six months ago. I'm in the best category of health. That's not the case. And again, carriers are going to vary somewhat far and somewhat wide in terms of that. On the disability insurance side, we're looking for 12 months. No tobacco use over the last 12 months, you will now be a non-tobacco user. If you purchased your policy, and at the time you purchased your policy, you were a tobacco user. Let's just say you were uh, using nicotine gum. A year has gone by. You could now go ahead and do an exam, blood test or urine test. Usually for this, we're only looking at the urine test. And if it comes back negative and you file your application to have your smoker premium removed or the surcharge associated with that, not a problem at all. So don't feel, hey, I'm going to quit. Once I quit for a year, I'll go ahead and I'll apply for my coverage. You can go ahead and apply for your coverage while you're still using that, 
Keep in mind that after you stop for a year, you'll do another urine test. You'll apply to have that smoking rate removed. And that is substantial. Typically, it's at least 25% more expensive for tobacco users for disability insurance. So I'm curious if we go through this and say I wasn't a tobacco user and got a policy and then two years later started taking up vaping, let's say. How does that work from an insurance standpoint if during underwriting I wasn't a tobacco user, but now I am? Yeah, so no problem at all. On the life insurance policy, your policy was underwritten. It was approved based on what your health was at that point in time and what your habits were in terms of tobacco at that point in time. Disability insurance is exactly the same. So because these policies you know, really are underwritten at the time of the purchase, in the event something changes subsequent, it really doesn't matter. The insurance company is not going to be asking about that. On a disability insurance policy, if you have an increase option on your policy, and let's say you are actively using tobacco products, your original policy was that of a non-tobacco user, you're now exercising your future increase option rider. They're not asking any medical questions. They're just asking about other coverage that you have and what is your income. So even those subsequent policies, even though you now are a tobacco user, those are not going to have tobacco user rates associated with those increases. Awesome. That was not an endorsement, by the way, to start smoking. I was just curious because it doesn't happen very frequently. But since we're talking about those that are not in perfect health, smoking is very bad for you as my wife and all of our clients. And everyone's happy to tell me, which I don't smoke, by the way. Uh, but Yeah, I'll even throw in unrelated to health per se. But let's say you bought your insurance or you're thinking about buying insurance and you want to take flying lessons. So you want to pilot a single engine plane or you want to do deep sea scuba diving or become a dive master. Jumping out of said plane. Yes. Or you want to do something like that. As long as you don't have the intention of doing that at the time of application and you buy your policy and subsequent to that, you decide you, for whatever reason, want to start taking those things up, again, not going to impact the policies that you own. So the key is, whether it's disability insurance or whether it's life insurance, for better or for worse, you almost have to at least think about buying these policies before you need them. Because by the time you realize you need them, if the reason you realize and you need them is due to a change in health, it might be either too late or it might be unfortunate and you can no longer buy the coverage that you might have been able to buy earlier at that lower cost or without that exclusion rider just because your situation now has changed. It's probably both. It's probably too late if something health related really does change your life and causes you to wake up one day and go, uh-oh. I actually need this coverage. It's it's probably too late at that point because no one gets excited to go buy insurance and say, this is going to happen to me. That's why I'm buying this. Everyone's like, one in four people get disabled. Well, I'll be one of the three. No one wants to, like when you were talking about when we go search at term for sale and you look at the preferred rate, no one wants to be average at anything. So we're always like, well, I'm above average. I'm in, a, I'm in the preferred rate. It's just, it's very different. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Larry, thanks so much for being on. Like you've been on several times. You've provided the community for years now, lots and lots of value. Larry is inside 
of our community. If you haven't joined us, please do that. Financialresidency.com slash community. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, bring them up. We talk about all sorts of good stuff in the community. Happy to to answer those like I continue to do for everyone. And we really appreciate Larry taking some time out of your, your day here on a Saturday, by the way. No problem. Yeah. If anybody needs to find me or they have questions or they even want me to review existing policies that they have, whether it's disability insurance or life insurance, you could certainly feel free to call uh, 516-677-6211. You can always send an email. That's usually a great way to reach me. I'm very responsive on email, probably more than the phone, just because my average conversation is usually somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour. And there's only so many of those that you can do in a day. So email is lkeller, L-K-E-L-E-R, at physicianfinancialservices.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. All right. Well, hopefully you guys got some value out of going through what Larry and I went through was those that maybe aren't in such perfect health, trying to figure out what coverages may be available, what would be an adverse effect or not, you know, how this affects term and your disability. I highly encourage you to if you're interested in looking at what Larry does and how to do it, or just need a review of a policy, go to financialresidency.com slash PFS. And I know that he'd be happy to take care of you as he's done for us literally hundreds of times for people in our community. Now for our quick community update, we are always making changes. We're always doing fun things. Casey and I are actually talking about recording our Friday financial health assessments as Facebook and potentially YouTube lives. And we're curious if you would like to see that kind of stuff, to see the behind the scenes of how we would interact with someone, one of you that essentially calls in and gives us their info. And of course, it's not a full financial plan and all the fun disclosures. But if you'd like to participate and then we'd answer questions or allow you to participate alongside of us, let me know. You can go to Ryan at Financial Residency. Email me, Ryan at Financial Residency.com. Let me know if you'd like to hear that or see that or if there's anything else that we can do to make the show more fun, better, make finance fun. So that's a, that's the whole goal here. Teach you guys a lot about personal finance and in the most fun way that we can do that possible. So thank you so much for being a part of the community. I really appreciate each and every one of you. If this has been of value at all, any of these shows, our books, whatever it may be, please share this with one physician or one physician family it would really help not only us get the message out, but it's probably going to help them take control over their finances too. So we can all have a happier, better life. Now, remember this is for educational purposes only. It is not a full financial plan. This is not an insurance plan. This is talking really high level educational tips. Let's call them that because that's way more fun. I appreciate you guys being here. Have a great week and I'll see you on Friday. Cheers. Lawrence Keller is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ 355 Lexington Avenue, 9th floor, New York, 10017-212-541-8800. Securities, products, and advisory services are offered through PAS, member of FINRA, SIPC. 
financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, registered trademark Guardian, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Physician Financial Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR Insurance License Number 1057229, CA Insurance License Number 0C37340. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Physician Financial Services, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. 2020-107336 expires 922.